All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to another another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. Um, we're going to start a series today, a new series. Uh, we're going to be talking about about the Word of God, uh, what it means. We're going to go through a lot of different subjects on it. Um, man, we're we're excited to do this. We were mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised by the amount of people that that reached out to us and and let us know that this was something that they actually listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did this because a big reason we thought it would be fun. We thought that it would be um, potentially a, a blessing to people. Um, yeah. But we were definitely surprised how many people it was that that actually listened to the episode and let us know. Yeah. Um, so we're excited about that, and and we're definitely gonna definitely gonna try to keep this thing going. Mm-hmm. Um, so our last episode, we just. Um, kind of laid out the foundation of the podcast the reasons why we wanted wanted to do it uh things like that we'd encourage you guys if you're if you're listening maybe to go back and listen to that one um you know we we talked a lot about just some things in our own lives um what led us to this what what made us want to do a podcast uh but today we're going to move into a series like i said where we're going to talk about the word of god we're going to talk about the bible um Today, we're mostly going to be talking about the forms of the Word of God, um, and we're going to be talking about the authority of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the overview overview of, of, of today's episode as we go through it. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Yeah. I'm excited. I like, man, I, I think theology should excite us as Christians. Um, we should get excited to, to know and understand God and His Word a little bit more, so... Last time was maybe a little bit more anecdotal, you could say, where we were sharing some experiences of our life and kind of just talking about our heart, like you said. But, man, this is what I get pumped for, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the Word of God. So I hope you guys are pumped as well. So the first thing we're going to talk about, we're going to make this uh, a distinction that theologians often make when it comes to to, to knowing God. Um, we, we talk about how God has revealed himself. Um, God gives revelation. Um, revelation reveals the character of God. It reveals attributes of God. It lets us know who God is, um, what he's like, what his character is, those kind of things. And there's a distinction that theologians often make in this. There's general revelation. Um, there's specific revelation, right? Um, when we talk about, talk about uh, or, or, or sometimes called special revelation mm-hmm. to general or special revelation, it's kind of either or. Um, one, I mean, one thing the Bible talks about and makes clear, you know, Psalm one, Psalm nineteen says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiworks." Day to day, it pours out speech, and, and night to night, it reveals knowledge. Romans one talks about how um, the the truth about God, God's attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made there is something about creation that reveals things about god right and and, and paul says that um in romans 1 he says that the people are are without excuse that though they know god they suppress the truth that they know god in unrighteousness um they exchange the truth about god for a lie and they worship and serve uh created things rather than the creator right so so all of us know things about God. The creation reveals things about God. Um, God can be known in some degree from what he's made. Mm-hmm. You know, humans possess possess a moral conscience. We, we know what is good and what is right. Um, and, and that comes from God. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, theologian John Calvin talked about how we have a sensus divinitatis, right? That's a, a Latin word. If you study a lot of theology, you start to learn a few Latin words. Yeah. Um, but a sensus divinitatis, we have the sense of the divine, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity on our hearts. There, there's things that, that we know about God from his creation. That's, that's a bit about what general revelation is. Mm-hmm. Creation declares the glory of God. Um, it, it reveals some of his attributes. Um, but special revelation well, is on, a little bit different. I just want to say one more thing about general revelation, just to make explicitly clear that this, this general revelation is true of all people. Mm-hmm. And we see this in Romans one eighteen. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that men is a bucket term for humanity, mm-hmm. all people. Uh, and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So yeah. this is exactly what Jackson was saying with this census divinitatis, or however you pronounce that. Uh, this is true of all people. Um, and because God has revealed himself generally to all people, um, we all stand condemned for rejecting him. We all stand condemned for denying his existence. Um, and that's exactly what, I mean, if you read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's the argument Paul's making, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it says that we suppress the truth about unrighteousness, that, that we have no excuse, that the things that we know about God we suppress, mm-hmm. even by our own moral standards that uh, th- that are inherent in us, we are condemned by that, mm-hmm. basically. Um, we violate even our own standards of morality. Um, so that's a bit about general revelation. Um, now when we move to specific revelation, special revelation, however you want to call it, um, that, that would be broadly... Um, God revealing himself specifically, mm-hmm. God revealing his attributes, God revealing truth statements about him. We would talk about how the Bible is special revelation from God. It mm-hmm. reveals truth about God. It's not just the Bible that we would call special revelation from God, the written word of God, um, but that is a, a big category. Um, so as, as we talk about as we talk about the word of God, um, we're, we're going to talk about it a bit. It's generally a bit of a has a bit of a, a broader scope um, than what we often um, think about. Generally, we think about just the written word of God in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we're going to talk about all of the forms of God's word, and then we're going to talk about the authority of God's word. Um, and just as as we go into this series, uh, we wanted to be upfront about some some assumptions that we're making. We believe these things to be absolutely true, objectively true. Mm-hmm. Um and, and we're going to cover some of these things later too. Um, yep. but, but we want to state up front that we believe that what we have today is a faithful recording and translation of the Bible, which, which contains the words of God. You know, we believe that it, it, it came about through normal historical circumstances and normal historical means. The Bible didn't come down from the sky. Uh, you know, Mormonism, you get, you have this idea mm-hmm. of the angel. I think it's Mordecai brings down a, a prophecy to Joseph Smith, something like that. We're not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty clear that the Bible comes about through normal historical means, but we believe that God is sovereign over those means and that he has preserved these things for us through those those normal historical means. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the, the idea behind that too, like what we believe about the Bible 
comes from in a large way it comes from what we believe about god mm-hmm. it, re- it really does you know if we believe that god is is sovereign if, if we believe that god is powerful and rules over all things and is omnipotent there's nothing that he cannot do um, and if we believe that god is trustworthy and that he, he desires to reveal himself to people um, and to save people um, well that gives us a reason really to to believe that god is preserved these books and to preserve his word Mm -hmm. for us today um, through those normal historical means that God is sovereign over. Um, That has been the the testimony of the Christian church for, for ages and ages and ages. Mm -hmm. We believe this is God's word. We believe that God has preserved these things. He's kept them for us. You know, Isaiah, I think of Isaiah 55, 11. I'm going to turn there really quick. Um, but if, if you go there, it says, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out mm-hmm. from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God has is sending out his word. He's revealing himself to humanity and he's accomplishing things through his revealed word, mm-hmm. right? He is, he is sovereign over that and he's, and he does that today and he's doing that. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's important that people know where we're coming from, right? We, we're not coming from a position of neutrality and we would never claim that. But a lot of people in this day and age would say we're, we're coming, we're approaching the word of God from a neutral position to try and figure out the historical accuracy of it, or if it is, uh, I guess, truthful. Um, and they would, they would try and assert that we're doing that from a neutral place, but that's just not possible. They have, people always come to the word of God with uh, presuppositions or assumptions to whether they believe it true or not. And our presuppositions or assumptions are exactly what you just stated. Um, and I just wanted to, we forgot to do this in the beginning, but grab your Bibles because we're going to be going, th- going through a lot of text um, and go to them with us, look at them with us and study them by yourself as well. See see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you as you studies, study these texts. Yeah, yeah, that's an important point. Um, you know, th- there is no neutrality as you approach this. And, mm-hmm. and Joshua and I have been fortunate to go through sem- seminary. We've heard the opinions of a lot of liberal scholarship on the bible and we say liberal not in the political sense of you know you have conservatives and liberals but in in biblical um studies you have really what are referred to as liberal scholars and and more conservative scholars and the liberal scholars will make that claim that that we're approaching the bible from a neutral standpoint and it, it becomes really clear really quickly that 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 is not the case and that there's no neutrality on the on these things Mm -hmm. we come to the bible with a presupposition and that doesn't mean um that we believe the bible no matter what it says or no matter what what evidence there is no we believe there's a great great deal of evidence Mm -hmm. i I don't in fact um, i don't believe to this day that there's been a single thing that's ever been disproved in the bible by anybody Mm -hmm. um which which is remarkable for a book that was written over 1500 yeah. years by 40 different authors 
um, beginning 3,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And to this day, the more we advance, the more we, the more we do things, the research we do in these things, not one thing has been found that has disproved a claim of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are not going to approach this with any sort of neutrality, but, but those are our assumptions as we go in and we, we believe that they are well-founded and well-based. Yeah. And I think, uh, the verse of the day on the Bible app today was the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. Mm-hmm. And we're approaching the word of God with fear. And if you don't, you can't expect to have any sort of knowledge or any sort of wisdom. And you can, uh, I think that was from Proverbs 9 is where that came from this morning, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we might run through that later on in this. Yeah. Um, Paul is clear that like you can't have any, any wisdom apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wisdom comes primarily and starts with a fear of God himself. Yeah, yeah it's really the theme of Proverbs. We talked mm-hmm. about it a bit last week, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, we need to have a reverence um, and a certain respect for God and for who he is. Mm-hmm. And that is the foundation of all wisdom and of knowledge. Yep. Um, so with that, I think we're going to jump in to talk about uh, what are the forms of God's word. Um, the Bible in its written form is an obvious one, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but it's a little, it's a little bit deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we read through the prophets in the old Testament, um, for example, you know, these were real people in history that God raised up to be prophets. Um, and they, they essentially to the nation of Israel, uh, to God's people, they were the mouthpiece of Mm -hmm. God, right? They were the mouthpiece of God. They were, they were commissioned with a message of God to go and preach to the people of Israel. And that was transmitted orally. Mm -hmm. But, but what's clear is that they spoke with the authority of God as they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and God also commanded them to write down uh, the prophecies, the message that, that he gave to them um, and to record it and preserve it. And that's, that's much of what makes up the Old Testament that we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, you know, the, the apostles, they had a ministry where they were speaking the word of God to people and they, and they, and they wrote letters and we, we say that that's the word of God today. That's inspired scripture right Mm -hmm. there were also things that jesus said in his ministry um that we would call the word of god that wasn't preserved for us today if you see at the end of john the gospel of john jesus said jesus it says jesus did many other things if we were to write them all the whole world couldn't contain all the things that he did Mm -hmm. right um but with that said we believe that that what we have today um, in written form, what has been preserved for us today by God is sufficient. It's everything that we need. Mm-hmm. But in that same, to the point we just made, that doesn't mean that it it, it contains all of the word of God that's ever been spoken, mm-hmm. right? Th- those prophets in that time, Jesus in his time, the apostles, they went around speaking with the authority of God. They were the mouthpiece of God, so to speak. Um but yeah, w- what we have today, um, as we talk about the Bible, that is a, a form of the Word of God, too. It's the written form, mm-hmm. right? Joshua, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that at all. Yeah, I think um, we might get into this a little bit more in our next episode where we're going to talk about the canon of Scripture, or what we call the Bible. Um, but uh, we want to be clear that like 
the prophets of the Old Testament and even the the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament, uh, we would say that uh, that gifting has has probably has ceased. Right. There's no more uh, revelation from God that's coming. Yeah. And this kind of rolls nicely into the next next portion then is Jesus as the word of God. Yeah. Um, we'll look at John 1 here, but I'm just going to bring up Hebrews 1. Um, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Um, you can turn to your Bibles if you got them. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is a reference to the Old Testament prophets. And then verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Um, So basically what this text is saying is... um, in the past and in many times and in many many ways, God revealed himself specifically to us through the words of his prophets uh, primarily. And now in these last days, <laughs> that's a good term. We'll maybe get into eschatology a little bit at some point. But in these last days, God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he is the most complete the most sure testimony to us of who God is. And um, yeah, I think we could maybe roll on the. Yeah. So, th- so that verse, it, it says that um, God is speaking to us by his son. Uh, we talk about the incarnation in, in some sense, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God, mm-hmm. God became a man um, was born in the likeness of men, like Philippians two said, um, and in John 1, when John opens his gospel, he, he makes this this assertion that, and it's only found in, 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 in John's gospel, really, but he says, Jesus is the word of God, mm-hmm. right? John 1 opens, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, mm-hmm. right? And there's some, there's some background, there's some context to that. John uses the Greek word logos, right? Uh, he talks about the word of God. Um, a lot of people look at that and they want to interpret that through the lens of, of the Greco-Roman context that it came from. Some Stoic philosophers would talk about logos as, you know, the reasoning, the reason, the power of reason that, that mm-hmm. held the universe together. That was kind of a Stoic philosoph- philosophical idea. Um, but really, when we look at this, it's important to understand that Jesus' main cultural context was first century Judaism. I mean, it, it was Palestine. It was it was. Um, the nation of Israel and, and those things. Um, and, in, and in that sense, uh, the word of God was, had, a, had a little bit of a, of a deeper context. John opens his gospel in the same way that the Bible opens. The Bible opens with the words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John's gospel opens, in the beginning was the word. And then if you go through John's prologue, he talks about Jesus as the light of the world, right? The second part of that verse mm-hmm. in Genesis says, and God and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. So John is, is looking at Genesis 1 and he's giving us um, an interpretation of it. He's placing Jesus in a cosmic setting mm-hmm. that when you, he's saying, hey, when you read Genesis 1, Jesus is there. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the word of God. You know, it says God spoke 
It says, Psalm 33 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God spoke things into mm-hmm. existence. And John is saying that Jesus was the means of creation. He's the word of God um, who, who was in the beginning, who is God. And when he became flesh, when he took on the form of a man, he reveals God. Mm-hmm. Later in that same prologue, um, John says that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Greek word for dwelt Another way to translate translate that, and you'd be accurate in doing so, is to say that Jesus tabernacled among us. Mm-hmm. And that has an Old Testament context. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was where God's glory and his presence um, was with the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness, as they entered the promised land. And, and John is saying that in Jesus, the fullness of God, the glory of God has dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it, it really was God in the flesh made man right mm-hmm. the last verse of of john's prologue verse 18 says that says that jesus is making him known um there's a greek word it, it's exegeomai uh is the greek word and it's where we get our english word exegesis from um and that, that's a fancy word when we talk about exegeting the bible we look at the bible and we 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 pull things out of it we figure out what it's saying the process mm-hmm. of exegesis is figuring out what the bible is saying or what a specific text is saying and and in that sense john is saying that that is what jesus is doing about god he's making god known mm-hmm. so when we when we talk about jesus as the word of god which john does that's what it means jesus makes god known he is the fullest revelation of god right Mm-hmm. And like you said, we're going to talk about, you know, what, what that means for the canon. You know, there's this question, is God still speaking today? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the problem that runs into is, is we say that in Jesus, we have the fullest revelation of God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not, there's not more that we could know about God than what we know from Jesus. Jesus has revealed God in the, in the fullest sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think to understand, understanding, uh, Jesus as the word of God, I've found this concept helpful when I've really wrestled with trying to understand how are the Old Testament saints saved because they didn't have Jesus. They didn't know about Jesus. They know there was a prophecy about a Messiah to come, but uh, understanding Christ Jesus as the word of God was helpful because it shows us that salvation has always come through putting our faith in the word of God Mm -hmm. and the Old Testament saints put their faith in the words of God, whether it was deliverance from their enemies, having a child, whatever it may be. There's a bunch of examples in the Old Testament. And ultimately, the fullest sense of what they were putting their faith in was to come later, and his name was Jesus. And today, we put our faith in the word of God, that being the person of Jesus. We look backwards um, when they looked forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you read your Bible carefully and, and if you read it from the beginning, you see that humanity, when they fell into sin, they were never without the gospel. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve sinned, God God pronounced judgment on, on the serpent, on Satan. Um, and in Genesis 3.15, he says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the, of the serpent. And he's saying that somewhere down the line, there will be a human, uh, an offspring of a woman who is going to undo what was done in the garden? Mm-hmm. Who is going to crush the power of Satan um, that introduced sin into the world? 
so so humanity has never been without the gospel but that is a question that, that a lot of times people struggle with is how are people in the old testament saved mm-hmm. when jesus wasn't fully revealed yet mm-hmm. and there was many 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 prophecies about him and promises about him yep. um but just as today we are saved by faith and, and trusting in god's promises for us trusting in the work of christ mm-hmm. uh, that he's done on our behalf so too were those people saved by trusting in the promises of God, saved by looking forward to the Messiah. Yeah. Man, and, and, and it wasn't just that a Messiah was going to come. You know, Jesus says that even his death, his suffering, his resurrection, those things were were prophesied and were taught in the yeah. Old Testament. Um, yep. They were made clear. So we're, we're going to continue. Um, there's this assertion we want to make, uh, and this, this we believe is clearly derived from Scripture. Um, when we talk about the word of God being the Bible in written form. Um, and, and this kind of plays into the authority it has. We'll get into that a bit more later, but what we're saying and what the Bible makes clear, um, is that both God and men were the authors of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So in the same sense, um, we would say, we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, right? Mm -hmm. In this, in the same sense, we would say, yes, Moses is the author of the Torah. And at the same time, we would say, also, God is the author of the Torah, right? God is the author of all of his word. It's God's word. That's why we call it that. Um, and we're going to go to some some text just to take a look at that. Uh, the first one, second, Peter. Joshua, are you there? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. I'll, I'm going to start in second Peter chapter one, verse 19, and I'll go through verse 21. So 19 says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, so this, this text in second Peter, uh, primarily is telling us about how did the scriptures come to be, uh, not necessarily about how do we interpret them, but how did the scriptures come to be? Uh, and as we see in verse 21, and actually we may, maybe in the way future or sometime we'll have to talk about this because this is a verse, um, many Catholics will point to, uh, to say that. Uh, you can't study the Bible on your own because you'll be interpreting it on your own, which is not what this is say, saying. Instead, uh, in verse 21, it's primarily telling us that uh, the revelation or the prophecy uh, of God to us has not come by the will of man. It hasn't come by his own interpretation, but it's come from God through men being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so God is is central to that process. The Holy Spirit is central to that process of the scriptures and the prophecies uh, about himself uh, being given to us. And at the same time, so, so there, that, there that doctrine becomes clear mm-hmm. that God and men are authors yep. of the Bible. God spoke through the prophets. God mm-hmm. used ordinary, normal, historical means to give revelation about himself to humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, another text we're going to look at is Second Timothy three sixteen. Um, it says that, and the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. All of scripture has its source in God. It comes from God and, and, and it, and it comes to us through the means of, of, of prophets and apostles and their writing. But, but it's very clear that the scripture, as, as Paul says, is breathed out by God. And, and Paul and Peter mm-hmm. are making this assumption, uh, or making this claim, I should say. And it's the same claim that we're making, but it is, it is very deeply based on what the Old Testament says, right? When you read the prophets, it seems like about, about almost everything they say, they announce it. Um, they say, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. If you read the KJV, thus saith the Lord, yeah, right? I love that. Yeah. Thus saith the Lord. Um, but, but they're clear that this is not a message from them. It is a message from God. And just one passage to, to look at that. Um, if we look at Deuteronomy 18, um, we're looking at Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 20, 18 through, yeah, just 18 through 20. Um, and this is really like, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and I'll read it here. Verse 18 says, I will raise up for them. Actually, I'll go back to verse 17. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it, require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And then verse 21, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So right from the beginning, God clearly states that he is going to raise up prophets. And, and in this example, this we believe this pretty clearly to talk about Jesus, but there's many, many prophets in the Old Testament. And it says that God is going to speak his word through prophets, right? Through men. God is going to raise up prophets to be a mouthpiece for him. And, and the interesting part is God says, whoever does not listen to this prophet that I raise up, I myself will require it of him right? It is God's word. Um, and not only is there a command to listen to the true prophets, um, but there is, there is warning and punishment against listening to false prophets. Mm-hmm. And, and even there, there is a, a tested way to know if a prophet is truly from God. If they say things that, that don't happen, they are not from God. And, and the punishment there, God says that same prophet shall die, mm-hmm. right? This Death is a penalty. serious matter. Someone claiming to speak the words of God who is not, that is a serious matter. Mm-hmm. That is a very serious matter. And, and at the same time, the thing that we're talking about, God is promising to speak through people, his word with his authority, right? Another example, um, we flipped to Jeremiah, just in the opening chapters of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the, major prophets in the old testament and this is a bit interesting i'm going to find it quick but in jeremiah 1 
Um, Jeremiah 1, the chapter opens uh, in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah, in this in this sense, even protests against God, even says, I am only a youth. And God says, Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them. Do not say, I am only a youth. You will go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. In Exodus 4, there's a sim- similar example. Moses almost, almost talks back to the Lord in, in the mm-hmm. same sense. It says, in Exodus 4.12, Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Right? Mm -hmm. When we read the Bible, when we look at the prophets, this is very clear that when the Bible speaks, it is God who is speaking mm-hmm. and God speaks his word through prophets, through people, but it comes with the very authority of God, right? Mm-hmm. Man. Um, and, and, and further than that, um, not only did God command people to speak in his name and with his authority, but God commanded people also to write down and to preserve the word that he spoke. The first example of that, um, if we read Exodus, we look at the Ten Commandments. It says that it says that they were written with the very finger of God. They were put in writing and they were preserved for the people to read. And if we open to Deuteronomy 31, 9, um, this is towards the end of of the life of Moses. Got to flip there quick. Deuteronomy 31, 9. It says, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of, the, of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he shall choose, you shall read this law before Israel and all their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land. So God commands Moses to preserve this word and to write it down so that people in future generations would know it. Later in that same chapter, it says when Moses finished this writing, he, he commanded it to be stored with the Ark of the Covenant so that it would be preserved. At the end of the book of Joshua, it says the same thing. In, in the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 30, God says, Now go and write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time mm-hmm. to come as a witness forever. God commanded that these words of his be written down and preserved. Right? It's not just that 
that he spoke through the prophets his own word he also commanded them to write it down um, another examples in revelation as well mm-hmm. with john which we won't flip to but this is something that's consistent through the whole bible yeah jeremiah 30 says the same thing it says thus says the lord the god of israel write in a book all the words that i have spoken to you write in a book all the words that i have spoken to you for behold days are coming declares the lord when i will restore the fortunes of my people israel and judah says the lord and i will bring them back to the land that i gave to their fathers and they shall take possession of it write in a book all the words that i have spoken to you for days are coming right preserve that book for future generations so when paul and peter say when they put forth this doctrine and and they say that say that prophets or god spoke through the prophets when the author of hebrews in in hebrews 1 says Mm -hmm. at many times in many ways god spoke to our fathers through the prophets they're not basing that off nothing that's not something they came up with or thought but this is consistent in the bible from the very beginning all the way to the end it it is abundantly clear that that when the bible speaks god is speaking when his prophets speak they are speaking the words of the lord and it's also very clear that they were told to write this write this down in order that it would be preserved for future generations Mm -hmm. and just like isaiah 55 says god is sovereign over his word and he sends it out and it will accomplish all of his purposes Mm -hmm. right yeah i think uh one thing that kind of s- a, a phrase that sums up what what you're saying, Jackson, and what I agree with, um, and this comes from our pastor Devin Hiller. Shout out to D Hill if he's listening. Um, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. So when we sit down in the morning to study our Bibles, uh, when we're in a church who is faithfully preaching the Word of God, the Bible, when we hear the commands of it. But not only when we just hear the commands, when we hear the promises of it, when we hear the blessings of it, this is God speaking to us today through his word. Mm-hmm. And we are to obey, we are to, su- to submit to it. Um, because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Yeah. And, and, even, and even greater than that, like to, to disbelieve the Bible mm-hmm. or to, to disobey what's clearly revealed in scripture is is actually to disbelieve god himself Mm -hmm. it is not just to disbelieve um whether or not we can know anything about god or or disbelieve the circumstances through which the bible came it is actually to disbelieve the word of the very god himself the true and the living god which is a heinous crime that is a heinous crime it really is crime in the spiritual sense no one's going to (laughs) be put in jail because they're not believing the bible uh, but spiritual crime yes spiritual crime um, and that that is clear in the Old Testament. It's also very clear in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament authors, they are absolutely steeped in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and, and they always are referring to the Old Testament as being the very Word of God. You know, Matthew one. You know, he quotes from Isaiah, and he says, "All this ta- all this took place to fulfill what the Lord, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah." Acts one sixteen is another example. It said the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. It's that same idea. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, um, when, when Satan says, you know, if you're really the son of God, turn this, turn this rock into bread. Um, Jesus responds back to him and in all the temptations by quoting scripture. And he says, 
And he says, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, and he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's, ref- he's quoting the Old Testament, and he's referring to the Old Testament, that the words of the Old Testament come from the mouth of God. And in the same sense, it, it's, it's clear when we read the Bible, too, that the New Testament authors are seen, uh, what they're writing is considered to be scripture. Mm-hmm. It's considered to be the word of God. Second um, Peter 3, 15 through 16 is an example yep. of that, Joshua. I'll read that. Uh, so Second Peter 3, chapter, or verse 15 says, uh, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And then verse 16 here is, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions as they do the other scriptures. So uh, I'll make two points on this. One, the primary point that goes along with what we're talking about right now is uh, Peter sees Paul's letters as in the bucket of scripture. And this is, uh, this is, uh, this is a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. this is New Testament letters that are in our Bibles that Peter already, I can't remember when Second Peter was wrote, uh, but it was before the end of the first century. Uh, and this is something that Peter is saying, Paul's letters are seen as scripture. Mm-hmm. And we may talk a little bit about this in, in the canon episode next time, maybe not, but we have reason to believe that the gospels were already seen as scripture, if not by this time, shortly after. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean... That's most of the New Testament. Yeah. Paul's letters and the Gospels are most of the New Testament. Well, there, there's this issue in, in, in liberal scholarship um, where they want to push the dates yep. uh, of the writings of the Bible as far back as possible, and they want to question canonicity. And right here in Peter's own writing, he's calling what Paul wrote, the letters that Paul writes, Scripture. Mm-hmm. The Greek word is is graphe. And it's used like 53 times in the New Testament. And every single time it's used, it is referring to scripture. Mm-hmm. It has the same meaning every single time it's used. Yeah. Another I'm example. i make the second point here, though. The other point I wanted to make from this is we already see that there's a distinction between what is faithfully preached as the word of God and what isn't. Because uh, he's already, Peter's alluding to people already twisting the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And he's telling them to be careful uh, and make sure that... Um, or maybe it's not in this one, uh, as he does in the letters when he speaks of other matters. Uh, yeah, the ignorant and the unstable are twisting to their own destruction. So we already see here that there's a distinguishing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament between false teachers, people teaching false things, and things that align with the true revelation of God. Yeah. Even, even many of Paul's letters, especially oh, yeah. the pastoral epistles to Timothy, to Titus, are for this reason. It says mm-hmm. basically one of the major themes in each of them is like raise up trustworthy and faithful men, appoint them as elders in order to refute false teaching and to keep wolves out of the church, Mm -hmm. to keep people who teach wrong doctrine and who are false teachers out of the church. Mm -hmm. Keep keep the wolves away from the sheep. A lot of Paul's letters were directly addressing false teaching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So this was common even for Paul to do. And another, the other example we have in the Old Testament is really actually an interesting one. Um, if you go to First Timothy 5.18, again, Paul's writing to Timothy. 
Um, and if we read the verse, Paul is, is proving a point um, that's irrelevant to our current topic. But he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his, his wages. And what's interesting about this is Paul clearly says, for the scripture says, and then he quotes two things. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. And that second one, the laborer deserves his wages. It's interesting because if you read the Old Testament, that is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. There is not a single place where the words, the laborer deserves his wages are found anywhere. Not a single place. And yet Paul says that there's scripture. Uh, and why would Paul say that? Well, he's quoting, he's actually quoting from Luke 10, 7, mm-hmm. where the the exact words, the exact same Greek construction, same thing when we translate it to English, the laborer deserves his wages. And I, and I believe Jesus, uh, it's the words of Jesus. I can't remember the exact point he's talking about. But Paul is quoting from Luke mm-hmm. and saying that it's scripture. He's saying the scripture says, so not only is that saying that Paul views it as scripture, but that it was seen as scripture at this time. Paul is appealing to it as scripture. And another another example, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. And Paul. Paul, Paul in Galatians talks about how he received the gospel. He received it as direct revelation from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Paul's gospel did not have its source in man. It had its source in God. The, the introduction, Romans 1, the introduction of that has the same same idea. The gospel comes from God. It's God's gospel. Paul is the mouthpiece of that gospel. Mm-hmm. He is an ambassador for Christ, preaching the gospel, the message of God, the good news of, of salvation through Jesus. Um, yeah, so so what we see there, through through that long section, we see clearly that the Bible is God's word. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Mm-hmm. Old Testament and new testament um and, and and further than that we are convinced that this is god's word for another reason jesus makes this point in in john 10 i'm gonna flip there quick i think it's yeah an important this is thing, important important thing to cover but jesus it, when you read the gospels jesus over and over and over again you see that he is he's disputing um he's getting into arguments with pharisees right over and over and over again and, and they they keep they keep attacking him and asking him questions, hoping to catch him up in something. Interestingly, Jesus generally refutes them with, with the Old Testament a lot of times. Um, but what I want to cover here is in Jesus ten twenty four, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So, in a sense here, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are refuting him and, and trying to fight against him and ultimately end up killing him, he says, you you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Mm-hmm. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. So in that sense, um, th- there is a spiritual dimension to understanding the mm-hmm. word of God. And, and and for many of us, it is it is blind unbelief. It's that idea that we suppress the truth about God and unrighteousness. We don't want to believe. 
Jesus says to, um, in the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus says that if, if the people did not believe what the, what Moses and the prophets said about Jesus, that they wouldn't believe even someone being raised from the dead. And that's a, that is actually a bit ironic too, because the Bible clearly portrays Jesus as being resurrected, raised from the dead. And, and yet there were still unbelieving people. There were unbelieving people. If they don't believe the words of God, they're not going to believe any amount of miracles, any amount of works, any amount of things. People suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. That That is a clear testament of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll, I'll jump ahead here to 1 Corinthians 2 then, unless you have anything else. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, the kind of the... We we've thrown a lot of scriptures out today. Oh, we've we've got some more coming later. But um, what so what we, what Jackson just talked about in John was essentially this idea that comes from First uh, Corinthians chapter two. We could really read verses six through the end of this chapter, but we're just going to look at verse fourteen. It says, "The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned." Uh, verse 15 says the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one for who can understand the mind of the lord or who can understand the mind of the lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of christ uh, so kind of the argument that paul is making here uh, and he's doing he's doing a uh, something cool here where he's kind of contrasting the wisdom or the idea of wisdom of the day and age in the in the city of corinth uh, with the true spiritual wisdom that comes through knowing Christ. Uh, and what he's saying here is that the Spirit of God is the only person that can reveal himself to people. Who can have the mind of God except the Spirit of God? And so the Spirit of God will self-attest to us. The Holy Spirit tells us this is the Word of God. And this is important because you can have people, kind of like the Pharisees, who can study the Old Testament, they can study the Bible all they want their whole life. You think of like uh, scholars at an academic level who who supposedly teach about the Bible or teach the Bible in maybe more liberal colleges. Uh, I even had a professor when I went to NDSU who who claimed, well, he, he was a professor in religious studies and he would teach the Old Testament to us. And I sat in that class, man, it was a tough class to be in. But you can study the scriptures your whole life. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, you will not understand them as the words of God. You will not perceive them as that. The Holy Spirit is central to revealing to us as individuals that these are the words of God. Um, and that's that's Paul's main argument yeah. here. And, and it's not as if the words of God aren't plain nope. and aren't understandable. We're going to do a, a, an episode on that too. But the thing, the idea is that the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God suppresses. He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah. And this is that Romans one language. And yep. I think a helpful kind of visual for us, what does it mean that man suppresses suppresses the truth in unrighteousness? Uh, a friend of ours, Sam Parada describes it this way. It's like holding a basketball underwater. Mm-hmm. All it wants to do is jump back out of the water, but you have to hold it down there to keep it underneath the water. Yeah. And that's what it's like for us as as sinners before accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. We're suppressing the truth. We're holding it 
we're keeping it from coming into our lives. We create our own little bubble saying uh, we're actively keeping the truth of God away from us, mm-hmm. though it's plain and though we should be accepting it. Yeah. In, instead, we're actively denying that our whole lives before Christ saves us. Yeah. I remember I was reading Proverbs 3 last night. I think it was Proverbs 3, and it ta- it's just talking about wisdom. Solomon is talking about wisdom. Um, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he makes this interesting statement. He says, he says that wisdom cries aloud in the streets mm-hmm. day after day. And he says, you know, basically this idea, how long will the foolish despise wisdom? Mm. And it's not because wisdom isn't crying aloud. And it's not because the truth of God isn't plain, mm-hmm. but it's suppressed and rejected, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so looks like just based on time here, we're going to move Are on. Yeah, 40 minutes? Yeah, almost 50. Um, so we're going to, so th- this has, this leads pretty naturally into our um, discussion. We're going to talk about authority. Um, we're going to talk about what 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 authority does the Bible have? Really, what is the ultimate authority? When we look at um, worldviews, when we look at meta narratives, how we interpret the world, um, what is the overarching story? What is the ultimate authority? And in the time we live in, in our current cultural context, man, there is a major push. Um, and really it goes back to the enlightenment period and some of the philosophy that, that really began there and has continued and grown and grown. But there is a, a really a major push to redefine what is the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for a long time, humanity in general, Christians especially, we viewed the ath- ultimate authority as something that was outside of us, that we conform to something outside of us, to something objective. There is something objective um, that we're to conform to. And, and, and the, cr- the Christian church has always said that the word of God is the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. The word of God is the ultimate authority. But in our day, we are really pushing to change that. Um, and we are really refocusing things completely on self. Yep. A- and it's an, it can be a number of different ways. But basically, uh, for a lot of people, it's how I feel is the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, for some people, it's human reason is the ultimate authority. And we're going to do some cr- critiques of this in later episodes. I feel like we keep saying that, but we are. But in our day, we're really trying to redefine what is the ultimate authority. We're trying to to, to put subjective standards in place that leave it up to, to, to me. Um, I can say whatever I want, um, whatever I feel, whatever I believe, that's the ultimate authority. I get to claim what is true for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one just one example of this if anybody watched the matt walsh um documentary i didn't watch it but the daily wire matt walsh produced a clip uh, or a, a documentary titled what is a woman and there's a clip in there where he's on dr phil and he keeps asking um this woman um who used to be a man but asking what is a woman can you give me a definition of what a woman is and they could not do it they could not give a de- definition of what a woman is and they, they continually said you know basically the idea was well a woman is whatever each person defines a woman to be there is no objective standard for what a woman is but a woman is whatever this or that person decides that a woman is it's up to each person it's a subjective standard and Mm -hmm. not an objective standard yeah it's up to the person this is a big deal right i mean someone could pose a question like what's the big deal who cares if i if i make the standards of like what i think is good and what i think i don't and I'd say two things to that. One, God is the owner of all things. 
He is over all things. All things belong to him. And when we start to say we're going to define what we would try and claim as objectively, but subjectively uh, as what is right and wrong, we're crossing the border and we're saying, you know what, God, I think I'm God. I'm going to define what is right and wrong. And the second thing is God cares about what we believe. He doesn't just care about what we do. And this kind of ties back into our first episode where we talked about um, our be- our beliefs, what we believe informs how we live. And that's a big reason of why God cares about what we believe uh, because it's going to inform how we live. Um, so yeah, I think those are the two main big points is like, we're either going to step in the place of God and define what is good or wrong. And that's why it's so heinous, uh, such a crime against God and his himself uh, to say, we're going to subjectively make the standards. Um, and, and God really does care about what we believe. And so it's not just fine to say, Oh, you know what? I've never really thought about these things. Yeah. I don't think it really matters. Like I'm just going to let this person do that and I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, it matters. Well, and there's some, there's some further problems there. And again, we're hoping mm-hmm. to talk about this more, but if we give total authority to what every person believes, we run into some issues mm-hmm. because there are some people who believe some things um, th- that are, I believe, objectively evil. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. the Adolf Hitlers of the world and he believed that it was reasonable and he believed that it was right. A good thing. A good thing to, to do heinous, heinous, heinous evil crimes. And from the Christian worldview, we can stand on the, on the foundation of the Bible and say clearly and loudly, that is a heinous evil and that is wicked. But for the person who defines morality subjectively and according to their own standard, they have no foundation to stand on to say that person can't do that thing mm-hmm. because the ultimate standard is what each person believes to be true. And, and there's no, the person can't, can't say to the rapist or to the pedophile that the thing that they do is objectively bad. So what we believe is our ultimate authority really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we live... We live in a culture that is pushing against um, biblical teaching, is pushing it, pushing against what God said is good, what God said is right, and what our tendency could be, and this is just ravishing the church right now, but what our tendency to be, could be, and many churches are doing this, is to redefine what the Bible says, what God is clear about, based on what the culture believes. So there, there are some specific issues at the moment, and, and there's some pretty hotly contested things. And many churches, many people are disregarding what the Bible says, mm-hmm. and they're they're bending to the culture, to what the cultural beliefs are. And that shows what they believe is authoritative. Mm-hmm. The ultimate authority for those people in those churches is not the Word of God. It is the subjective cultural standards and the subjective cultural norms that we live in. And we cannot do that. God has revealed himself in his Word we, we have seen clearly that when the Bible speaks, God speaks mm-hmm. himself. And w- even, in, even, in the, even in the, in, within the Bible itself, when Jesus was pressed on questions, in Matthew 19, when they, the Pharisees ask him about marriage, he responds by quoting the Bible. Mm-hmm. And Jesus lived in a, in a cultural context in which it was generally seen as okay for men to divorce their wives for any reason. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of rabbis that, that misunderstood the scriptures and that thought that men could divorce their wives for any reason. And Jesus 
goes back and he refers to, to, to the beginning of time and how God created male and female. And he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis and he says, what God has therefore joined, let no man separate. And Mark seven, there's the same idea. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, why do your disciples not follow the traditions of the elders of the people of Israel? Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes after them and he, and he refutes them. And he says, your traditions blaspheme the word of God. They are contradictory to the scriptures. And it's very clear that the ultimate authority for Jesus is the word of God. And, and just because the cultural context, the Pharisees, their traditions, what they believed, those things that they said that were not in the Old Testament, that they themselves added and that were part of their culture, Jesus refutes that and says, no, you blaspheme the word of God by your traditions. Mm-hmm. And and it's clear what arises out of that is what the authority is. And this, mm-hmm. the same thing, the New Testament authors, when Paul makes an argument in Romans, how does he prove it? He quotes the scriptures. Mm-hmm. When Paul argues about justification by faith, he says in, in, in Romans 4, he opens up and says, what then shall we find about our forefather Abraham? That he was counted righteous as God by faith. Mm-hmm. That's Paul's point. Paul proves his point by the Old Testament. He does the same thing in, in many, many of his letters. Um, James does the same thing. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews they, they, they quote the, the Old Testament to prove their points. Paul in Acts seven in Acts seventeen two this is an, an example but everywhere Paul goes if you read Acts mm-hmm. seventeen two it says now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a great synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ Paul when he was evangelizing him and he was preaching to people he is proving jesus from the scriptures from the authority of god's word that's what he's doing it's clear who paul sees Mm -hmm. another example maybe my favorite is jesus response to the pharisees it's in multiple gospels but jesus quotes psalm 110 and he explains it and he interprets it them for them and he says how can you say that the christ is david's son when in Psalm 119, David calls him Lord. Mm-hmm. How can you say that? And, and, and Jesus, Jesus possesses the authority to say, I am the Christ and I have authority to say so. Mm-hmm. But even in this situation, he goes back to Psalm 110 and he proves from the authority of the Bible that the Christ is the Lord of David. He's a descendant of David, but he's also the Lord of David. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 bible is always the authority um it's the authority in our church structures when when we have when we have issues when when we're grappling with how to live or how to respond to a certain situation or what church policy looks like or what 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 um situations look like the circumstances of each believer the authority is always the word of god yep. always 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 mm-hmm. yeah I don't have anything else. Yeah. Um, I think, man, I think the last thing, um, the last thing that we want to talk about too, with this issue of authority, um, <coughs> the, the argument is often raised, right? 
because when somebody asks the Christian, what is the highest authority? And I say the Bible and they say, okay, how do you know that's the highest authority? And I say the Bible, right? It claims <laughs> it claims to be not directly, but yeah, uh, there, there is a certain argument against that. Um, that, that is, that is seen to be a circular argumentation, right? That's the, the claim that's leveled against the Bible is that it's a circular argumentation. And to that argument, I say yes and amen, mm. because every highest authority, if something is to be the highest authority, it must be a circular argument. Mm-hmm. If it is not, then it is not the highest authority. Mm-hmm. If I say the Bible is the highest authority and someone asks me why I believe the Bible is the highest authority and I say, well, because I think it's reasonable to believe that, then I have taken the Bible off of its pedestal as the highest authority and I say that reason is an authority above the Bible that proves that the Bible is the authority. Mm-hmm. But it's the Bible is subject then to reason. And that's not me saying that the Bible is unreasonable or that to believe that is unreasonable. Mm -hmm. But if I put something above the Bible as proving the authority of the Bible, then I believe that that thing is the highest authority. That's the thing. Anything that is the highest authority must be a circular argument. Mm -hmm. It, it, It cannot be otherwise. If something is claiming to be a highest authority, and it is not a circular argument, then it indeed is not the highest authority. And many people will say, I mean, when you, when you get after what they believe, maybe they're rationalists, they believe reason is the highest authority, maybe they're empiricists, they believe that what we can observe is the highest authority, maybe they believe our experiences are the highest authority, but every person has some belief about what the highest authority is. And in each case, Whatever highest authority you have, it must be circular. There is no getting around that. It is not a problem that just the just the Bible has. It is the problem for every person and every believer. The the thing is, if I'm going to have a highest authority, I don't want it to rest on human reason or on human experience or on human observation. I think all those things actually do lend to the true fact that the Bible is the Mm -hmm. ultimate authority. But when someone asks me why I believe that the Bible is the highest authority, my answer to them is going to be because the Bible says it is. Mm -hmm. And that, and that is a circular argument and that is a, a must have for any, any highest authority. Well, I think that pretty much covered what we wanted to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, I just want to, just one last last Bible verse for you guys to, yeah. to take home and and to and to chew on and, and to sit, sit in. Um, and it comes from First Peter. Uh, it's First Peter one twenty four. Um, and Peter, oddly enough, he's citing Isaiah forty, which we've talked about in this episode. Peter sees Isaiah forty as having some sort of authority, mm-hmm. and he's making an argument in his letter, um, in his letter to the churches. And he's using the authority of the Old Testament and and explaining from the word of God. And he says this. In in verse 22, he starts, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And now he goes on to quote, um, Isaiah 40 
For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. It is the highest authority. Um, yeah, so that, I think that's going to put put a bow on this episode. Um, we've talked a bit about the forms of, of God's word, what it means that Jesus is in the greatest sense the word of God, how he reveals God to us. Um, we've talked about this this uh, this belief in this doctrine that that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Mm-hmm. That both God and men are the authors of the Bible, rightfully so. God spoke through the prophets, mm-hmm. right? Hebrews one and many other verses, and we've talked about how how the Bible is the ultimate authority, and that may be a circular argument, and in fact, it must be. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is the ultimate authority for the Christian, for the non-Christian, mm-hmm. um, for all people everywhere and in general. Um, so I think we're going to stop here. Um, I don't know what our next episode is, is going to be on just yet. We have some I- some ideas. Yeah. Um, we're either going to talk about the canon or I think we might talk about um, what what comes from from false foundations or from having ultimate authorities other than the Bible. Um, we're probably going to do one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's going to be it for this podcast. Thank you guys again for listening. Um, yeah, have, have a good day. Feel free to leave reviews. That helps with discoverability. Um, and please feel free to share this with others. Thank you guys. Yep.